0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and neuropsychologist, Dr. Michelle Braun, Ph.D. Her new book is High Octane Brain, Five Science-Based Steps to Sharpen Your Memory and Reduce Your Risk of Alzheimer's. American adults fear Alzheimer's more than any other disease, including cancer. And because many people do not realize there's no genetic cause for 99% of Alzheimer's cases, they don't take the necessary steps to change lifestyle factors shown to significantly protect against the disease. Dr. Michelle Braun inspires readers to make lasting improvements by understanding the truth about the brain, offering five steps to achieve high-octane brain health. She's a former instructor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and assistant director of inpatient mental health at the Boston Veterans Administration Hospital. Her work has been featured in Today, CBS, Fox Morning News, Family Circle, and more. Uh, her new book, High Octane Brain, a science-based plan to improve memory and reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Welcome to the show, Dr. Michelle Braun. Nice to have you here.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Well, I guess the first thing I'm going to say is, and many of our listeners will actually ask the same question, what's unique about your book? Because we hear all the time, and we've heard, we, you know, about... Uh, all kinds of conflicting uh, conflicting voices on the media in terms of how we can keep our brains active, what we can do, whether it has to do with what we eat, nutrition, exercise. Um, so here's your book. Now we can, you said this is the book about understanding the brain and keeping our brain healthy today. What's different about You're-
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you asked because yeah. that that conflicting maze of voices is actually a big part of why I wrote this book because I was getting patients coming in and I've been working as a neuropsychologist now for 15 years and I'd have these these folks coming in and they were really dedicated to trying to enhance their memory, and at the same time, they were very confused because of the maze of voices, and they would come in with these bags of supplements and talk about all of the ads that they were seeing about brain games, and they were Asking, what should I be doing? And in many cases, they had already committed to these expensive supplements and things that were not actually going to give them the results they wanted. And I was very frustrated by seeing that because time is important and we really want to be able to maximize our timelines with regard to brain health. And the more time we spend on things that are not giving us that return on our investment, the less time we're spending on things that actually can make a difference. And so I wanted to provide readers and the public with a very clear plan that is very science-based and not only takes into account the research that's been done, but the research that is in process. And that is part of the reason I spoke as well with eight brain health experts really getting their bird's eye view of what's coming down the pike in these different areas and wanted to integrate it into a workable system that people could feel empowered by and say, okay, now I have this information. I know this is proven. There is no um, commercial potential conflicts with this, I can trust this. And that's what I, I wanted people to feel empowered by that.
0: All right. So all these brain experts, when you combine their research, obviously, and observations and your interviews, comes down to, for us, five steps. We need just There's just five steps that we need to take a look at in order to have or to create this high-octane brain, knowing that we're doing the right thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so what I wanted to do was take into account all, the fact that all of us have different genetic histories. We we can't change what we've inherited. Um, we can't change our early life experiences to, in any kind of significant way. We can change how we think about them, but we can't change what's happened. And I wanted to take that as a starting point and say, okay, given all of that, what can we do now And and yes, the five steps that are introduced in the book are really the state of the science about what we can do. And what's interesting about them is... And I just want to stop you
0: for one second, because when you say what we can do now, are you talking about age, like what we can do once we reach middle age, what we can do now? Because you said, you know, we have a genetic history, we have a family history, we have all those kinds of things. So where's our jumping off point age-wise? What are we talking about?
1: I, ideally starting in our 20s. 20s and the okay. reason I say that, yeah. Right. The reason I say that is because if you look at the timeline in which Alzheimer's develops in the body, we can see changes happening 30 years prior to diagnosis. So, we the science has really shifted to the to the earlier decades, especially because brain aging starts in the mid 20s, which is a surprise to most of us because we don't always notice that. But if you look at test data, we start to see a drop-off in cognitive functioning, um, especially in visual functioning in the middle 20s. And so ideally, this is a plan that a lot of younger adults and moving into middle age and older adulthood would benefit from.
0: So, it, because that that's, I mean, thats a, I guess that's a surprising number probably for most of us because we think in our 20s, I think we're, we, at least I would say many of us feel like, well, those are our smartest years. We have the most energy. <laughs> we, you know, we don't have to think about this stuff. You know, we're looking at our aging parents or grandparents. Okay, that's their problem, but it's not our problem in our 20s. So, that's really significant when you talk about uh, this is where we need to begin taking a look at this, at the aging brain.
1: Right. And and it's interesting, too, because it is a surprise. Many of us feel in our peak in our 20s and our 30s and, and even may, many beyond. It. You know, as you'll read in the book, there are role models uh, that I preview from ages 44 to 103. The 103-year-old role model, Edna, she just turned 105 yesterday. <laughs> and I think she would probably say she still feels in many ways at her peak. So there, there. That feeling, of that subjective feeling that many of us have at any age that we're we're doing great. This book is here to say that's fantastic that you feel that way. But in the meantime, just work on tweaking these five areas because that is going to set you up better in the long run. Well,
0: it's interesting because we don't think about our brains necessarily, but we do think about our bodies. I mean, everybody's exercising mm-hmm. and running and jumping and doing whatever they can to keep in shape physically. And yes, we know that has an impact on our brain, but we don't really hone in on it, like like obviously what, you, what your book is all about. Getting back, I just have to, Edna, just tell me, she's 100, where is she?
1: <laughs> she is <laughs> I, here in Wisconsin. She's actually in northern Wisconsin. And um, yeah, her birthday was just on the date of the book release yesterday. Talk about great timing. <laughs> so, Perfect timing. Yeah, exactly. She's got a fan club, I think, already. <laughs>
0: I'm sure she does. Uh, not too many people her age, I would imagine, but a whole probably entourage of younger people. So, Well,
1: that's actually funny you say that because she yeah. said one of the greatest things about growing older was a lack of peer pressure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know, a very, see, now that's a very, coming as a, from a social worker, that's a very positive attitude because many people, when as they age, talk about that they don't have support, you know, that all their friends and mm-hmm. their family members are dead because they're the only ones left, especially when people live over 90. I have a mother who's over 90. Um, yeah, so that's a whole different way of looking at it. No peer pressure. I like that. Yes, anyway, exactly.
1: Okay, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So, are right, getting back to starting in our 20s. Um and where do we start? What do we do? For One of high things, octane brains.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's such a great question that's, because there's so many things that it can feel a little bit overwhelming, and that's part of why I wanted to create the five steps and, and really put them in order of the research support in terms of developing a high-octane brain. And so number one on that list, I use a method, actually an acronym to help people remember it, called EXCELS, E-X-C-E-L-S, and the EX in that acronym stands for exercise, And so that is really one of the most powerful techniques that we can use for brain health. And what's Interesting and different, you know, which is such a great question you ask. How is this different? Is this book actually gets specific about the type and the duration and the actual specific brain benefits from exercise, as opposed to just saying, "Well, exercise is good," and having that be a general maxim. And so, when we think about exercise for the brain, uh, it's important. It's personalized, and it's important that we pick something that brings us joy. This should not be tedious. This should be something you look forward to, and. If you don't look forward to it, then maybe finding something else to try can be helpful. So that's the first step in the five steps. So when you, you when say you have on- to
0: personalize it, because I think that's really important, because you have people mm-hmm. talk, you, know, f- you know, I have friends. Well, I have to go to the gym. Maybe not now because they can't go to the gym, but I have to go to the gym. I hate it, but I go because I need to go there. I need to stay in shape. That's not really good for you. I mean, I have to say I've been one person. I don't go to the gym. I like to swim. I like to walk. I like to ski. As you say, personalize it. Those are the things I want to do. Those are my exercises. But if you don't do that, you're really putting, aren't you putting extra strain on your brain, which I think many, many people do by going to gyms and they don't really want to do that?
1: Absolutely. And a big part of the the galvanizing force that made me write this book was I desperately want to have people put these mechanisms into practice. And I was seeing in my clinical practice that people were coming in and even it, even just the word exercise, the eyes kind of glaze over and they go, I know I should be doing it. And they feel bad because they're not doing it, but yet they've not really found something that brings them joy and who wants to do something that doesn't bring joy. And so as you said you know you, you have it sounds like you've personalized the things that you really enjoy the movement and thinking of it as movement can be very broadening you know how do we like to move do we like to dance do we like to walk do we like to hike it, you know it doesn't have to have the negative connotation nex- necessarily of the word exercise even
0: right, so let's say we're doing that that's that's, mm-hmm. that's one of, okay now What else do we need? Obviously, there's a lot of other activities and things we need to be aware of. Maybe give us some of the examples. You said, uh, you know, some of these role models. These high, you have in in the book. You have what nine octane brain role models? You kind of alluded to those before, from ages forty-four to one hundred and three. Let's let's talk about put those in the context of what we're talking about. I mean, we have Edna, but who else? Right.
1: We've... So... What's interesting and why I wanted to present the role models is because it really brings to life the fact that this all has to be personalized. And that's actually what the book does. It takes you through exercises to personalize each of these steps. And so we, we run the gamut here in terms of people and how they keep active. So we've got Amy, who's 44, and she actually does really enjoy going to the gym and she enjoys doing a number of competitive sports. Then we've got Virgil, who's 53, and he's actually actually more of a weightlifter. So he really focuses on that piece for his exercise. We've got Jan, who's 62. She's an ice skater. And she is really interesting because she picked that up in her 50s when she started picking up snowboarding, um, which which is fascinating. Again, challenging these ideas that we have to somehow have these be lifelong habits. They can be picked up any time. We have Byung, who is 72, And he likes to work out on a treadmill. He prefers to be reading or watching TV maybe while he's doing that. We have Sue who loves tennis. But interestingly, when I interviewed her, she was more interested in trading stocks at that time than she was um, being on the tennis court. We have Otto. Otto is 91, and at the gym he goes to, he is actually called a role model. He goes to the gym for an hour and a half a day, which is amazing. We have Bill, who's 93, and he, when I interviewed him, had just had multiple hip surgeries. And so he was challenging himself. He was waiting for another surgery that was coming up uh, two weeks after our interview. And so he was challenging himself to try and recover well by walking around his apartment building hallways. So he was keeping active that way. We have Carrie, who was 100, and her main activity, she was actually a, a competitive bowler, and she had won a number of awards for as a competitive golfer and so she was keeping active mainly by um walking more in her home and edna um again who's 105 she has had some challenges with walking so it was interesting when i when i interviewed her she was in a wheelchair but she was Um, ambulating around the room in her wheelchair as we were even talking. And she does that every day and she ambulates up and down the hall with her feet. So she's not wheeling herself. She's actually using her feet to move her. So all of them are moving and they're all moving in different ways that they enjoy. And because they enjoy it, they keep doing it.
0: Was there anything personality wise that you discovered about any one of these people? I mean, in the, in like, say, the, i'm sure you know you do i'm sure obviously you would, there's a whole history behind each one of them and some of them started earlier as you said you can start at any age although it seemed to me it's more difficult if you're starting at 70 to start exercising if you haven't been doing it for 70 years or 50 years mm-hmm. isn't it yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, it you know what was interesting is i felt like that too as i was going into some of these interviews but i was surprised to hear Otto, for example, who exercises an hour and a half a day and he's, he was 91 at the time of the interview. He actually started that not long, maybe a decade or so before I interviewed him. Um, Bill as well, he started aerobics classes, I think in his 60s. And so I was surprised to hear that some of the folks who I interviewed hadn't, had been working a lot during their working years and not really focusing as much on exercise. And I think I was seeing that more in the older role models, who I call the Hall of Famers, the folks in their 90s and 100s, mainly because exercise hadn't necessarily been as emphasized as a health, um, a health maintenance type of strategy beyond just staying active at work. Um, What I think is really interesting from a personality standpoint about all of them is they were all resilient. Um, They had examples of how they thrived in spite of challenge. And many of them, I highlighted a lot of the disappointments that they had experienced and overcome because I wanted the readers to understand that developing a high-octane brain does not have to happen in a pristine, stress-free environment. In fact, there's some interesting research that suggests that when we have stresses and we have challenges, that that can help create more of a grit in our personality and more hardiness. And so that was definitely a common factor I found.
0: Now, what about food? How does that come into play? Okay, we're talking about exercise. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Are there certain foods? Yeah, the Boost Yeah, our so high I'm glad you brain. asked
1: because I know. <laughs> yeah, that's such a popular um, topic for people. So, the EX and the Excel's method is exercise. C is for consume healthy food. And so, there are, there's been a, a history of great data on the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet for heart health with regard to brain health. But what's new in this area is a diet called the MIND diet, M I N D. And this has shown actually special protection um, beyond the the other two diets for maintaining brain health and slowing brain aging. So people who followed that for four years were having a 53% reduced risk of Alzheimer's, which is amazing. And the MIND diet includes 10 foods that we want to try to maximize and five we want to try to minimize. And of those 10 foods, the two superstars... Number one are the dark green leafy vegetables, like the kales and the spinaches and the greens of the world. And then the second are berries. And interestingly, with the MIND diet, whereas the Mediterranean diet focuses on lots of other fruits, the MIND diet really had found a specific benefit from berries. So those are the two superfoods that jump out.
0: And you know, you can start with those superfoods from day one. And I'm just going to give you, this is just a personal example because I have my uh, Set of twins, two year olds, and a four year old living with me now with their parents. During, co- and I'm going to ask you this about COVID nineteen, but I'm watching the two year old eating dinner, and there was a healthy pizza for dinner, homemade pizza, but he was fit He was eating spinach and broccoli, and that's all he wanted to eat. He refused the pizza. I said that is an ad that you need to put on <laughs> television <laughs> because here's that's how that's what he likes. That's what he knows, you know and you know, those are the two, you know, the, the green leafy vegetables, as you mentioned. but uh, you can start from day one, I guess is what I'm saying anyway.
1: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. that, you know, we, you talked about when should these things start. I said in the 20s. I mean, ideally, if we can start them in childhood, that would be even yeah. better because those habits take hold much easier if we have them lifelong.
0: All right. So next, now what do we do?
1: We're eating those, the,
0: the diet. Yeah. The mo- yeah. yeah.
1: So the, the third step in the Excel's method is E. So we've gotten the EX for exercise, C for consume healthy foods. E is for engage engaging with our world, and this can happen socially and that's really important that we don't we combat loneliness and we engage um, with people that we enjoy spending time with number one and we can also engage with cognitive tasks like crosswords or other types of brain puzzles. But I want to make a really important point with that, which is that crosswords and Sudoku puzzles have not shown, been shown to be any more effective than doing other cognitive tasks that are personalized, that we enjoy, like learning a new recipe, learning a new language. In other words, this again is an area where it's vital that we personalize it. I've had so many people being brought into the office by well-meaning spouses who say, I'm so frustrated because my spouse will not do crosswords and I'm trying to help them with their brain. And then we have this discussion and they say, oh, he can learn about classic cars instead or she can learn about um, how she wants to do woodworking instead. In other words, it broadens our understanding of engagement. Well, I have two questions
0: related to that because I think this is so important. You keep mentioning it over and over, but I think it's critical. Personalize, 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 whether it's exercise, food, or engaging. What do we do? And I, I mean, uh, one of my ways of doing it, and with my partner, he and I always traveled around the world, constant traveling, that always engaging with, you know, the, uh, the external world or with people. Can't do that now. And that is mm-hmm. a real loss. So I kind of maybe can sort of, this sort of asks, the question is like how, when you're trying to personalize it and you can't do what you've done, what do you do in this pandemic? Because you mm-hmm. are restricted in all, all of these areas. I mean, many people are. So what? how, do, how does that, I mean, we don't have that much time left. So can we kind of put it in the context of where we are now um, mm-hmm. in, in terms yeah. of restrictions, I guess?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and we deal with that a lot clinically too when somebody can't do the things they used to do. Um, We want to take the thread of what we love and be creative with how we engage with it. So in terms of communication and, and travel, might there be websites we can go to and look at in terms of planning the next trip and thinking about the history of where we're going to go next or where we've been, putting together albums that highlight what we've done? In other words, staying in the topic itself but perhaps in a creative way, in engaging with it in a different way, socially doubling down on the phone calls that we make to others and perhaps the waves through the window that we might have and the conversations about our shared reality right now, that this is collective. And if there's one silver lining to COVID-19, it's that we're all in this together and that we get it. We get the fact that we're restricted in the ways that we uh, typically engage. And so, talking about that with one another, and and thinking about how we can thread that love we have into new activities that are somewhat related but not exactly what we were doing, can be very helpful.
0: That's great advice. I'm getting a kind of a free therapy session here. I like it. Okay. <laughs> what and okay, so we have exercise, food, engage, mm-hmm. and engage, engage. You want to in a personal way, but maybe not exactly the way you were able to do it Um, Mm pre-pandemic. So we have to be resilient and creative too. I, you, you know, use some of your creativity, I would imagine. Um, And then what comes next?
1: L in the Excel's method is for lowering stress. And that actually really dovetails well with what we're talking about. I, I recommend that as much as possible, we try to engage with our previous resilience and think about how we've all had challenges in the past. We're in the midst of one now, but we have overcome previous challenges. There have been times for each of us, again, specific times that we could think back to where we thrived in the context of challenge. And recalling that, recalling our past resilience can be a boost for us now because then we recognize we got through that. We will get through this. And it is helpful to empower us when we don't just think about the now, but we think about how we've, we have thrived in the past. But I also do think on the flip side that the now does have unique power aside from our resilience. And that is in the, in the context of what we call mindfulness, this idea that everything that's already happened to us has already happened Everything that will happen to us has not yet happened, yet here we sit in this moment, here we sit in this conversation right now, and there's enormous freedom and power to choose in this moment. And if we recognize that and we just take a moment to really just be here, and that's what mindfulness is, that can be a very calming and empowering realization. And that's where the lowering stress piece comes in. Those are some techniques that can help with that.
0: Yeah that very helpful the power to choose in this moment. I think that's that that is key because I think many of us feel like we don't ha- we've lost our power and we've lost our power to choose and we don't have choices but as what you're saying is we do have choices. And let's take a mm-hmm. look at the choices that we do have right now. A couple minutes left. What do we want? We have one uh th- I think there's one more.
1: Mhm. Yeah, there's one more area that's really important and it's sleep. So the Excel's acronym S is for sleep and we have great evidence now and it makes sense. It's illogical that the better quality sleep we get, the better our brain health. There have been some really interesting studies that you can read about in the book about how Insomnia can possibly increase Alzheimer's-related changes. That's not meant to scare anybody who can't sleep well because many of us have that. It doesn't, it, it's just a pattern of that over time that we really want to try to nip in the bud and change. And so you'll read about a number of strategies to do that. But sleep is really important as well.
0: Okay, This is great. A great book because it's very practical because it, it really kind of it tells you how to do it. And um, so it's, I think it's an important book. But particularly an important book right now, obviously, as we've been discussing. And we've been talking to Dr. Michelle Braun, PhD. She's the author of the book, High Octane Brain. So, Michelle, tell us what uh, websites we should go to, more information about the book, about you, about your work.
1: Mm-hmm. So my web my website, drmichellebraun.com, so it's D-R for doctor, my name Michelle, and then Braun, B-R-A-U-N, it's all one word. There you'll find a number of blog postings that I've done over the years, as well as an introduction to the book, if you'd like to take a peek at it. And certainly, um, if you would like to buy it, it's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and indie bookstores. And in in terms of spreading the word, I think, you know, all of your listeners could be so helpful in just helping empower others by knowing this information is out there and that it really has been proven and we can all benefit from it. And that's really what I'm after is really kind of spreading the word and that empowerment.
0: Well, you are doing that. And thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show today. Really enjoyed the interview with you.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for your Great. great questions and insights.